Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. There's been a lot of debate in Washington about regulating big tech, and you could see Congress fumbling to really understand how these companies are using our data. Well, San Francisco is about to get bold on blocking what data gets recorded and tracked. San Francisco supervisors voted Tuesday, making the city the first in the country to ban city departments from using facial recognition software, technology that can record and track people by taking a picture of their face. Unlike other technologies, we cannot hide our faces or change what we look like. San Francisco is the latest in a handful of cities and states wrestling over the power of technology, data, and our privacy. I'm Devin Kadiyama. Welcome to the Bay. So facial recognition, is this like when I go on to the pictures on my phone and I do like a search that says like baby and it pulls up all these pictures of babies. Some of them are my nieces. Some of them are just babies that happen to be in the picture. Is that what we're talking about here? You've got it. The basic concept here is that software is assessing the look of your face and attempting to match those specifics with a database of information. Rachel Myro covers Silicon Valley for KQED. In the larger scheme of things, this technology has been getting better. It's been getting cheaper. And you now have companies like Amazon and Microsoft offering products to government agencies. We're talking about the potential ban on facial recognition software, but this is just part of a larger ordinance that is requiring some process of public and governmental vetting. A few cities in the Bay Area have already passed similar ordinances that require city agencies to get local government permission before buying and using any new surveillance technology. The idea is to make sure the city and the public know what surveillance technologies are being used and how they're being used. What makes San Francisco's ordinance different than other cities is that it's the first to completely ban facial recognition technology. So on Tuesday, San Francisco's Board of Supervisors take up this ordinance. Okay, uh, Supervisor Peskin. Thank you, President Yee, colleagues. For Supervisor Aaron Peskin introduced the ordinance back in January. Peskin has led the city's attempts to regulate and limit tech's power in the city. And for him, this piece of legislation is about making sure city agencies don't abuse powerful surveillance technology. 
For me personally, I think of this as the difference between wanting safe and secure communities on the one hand and not wanting a surveillance state on the other, and this legislation attempts to find and achieve that balance. I know the organizations, the ACLU of Northern California and the Council on American-Islamic Relations have already expressed support for uh, banning this kind of technology. Why do they support the ban? Well, because of fear. Because of fear uh, of the way that humans will use this software. There are implicit biases in the algorithms employed in this technology, um, which AI experts uh, have now determined misidentify people of color and women at a disproportionately high rate. When you're talking about somebody's life at risk, right, a police officer who is using this kind of facial recognition technology that at present has shown itself not to be so effective identifying accurately, for instance, uh, African-American women, Right. what if that software inaccurately determines that that woman is a a, a dangerous threat that must be taken down immediately because the software has structural biases inherent in it. What's the deal with those structural biases? Because I did read that this technology has a harder time uh, identifying accurately women with darker skin than it does men with lighter skin. And I just don't know why that is. It, it all comes down to how does machine learning learn? It, it learns off of data sets. And if the people producing the software tend to be white and Asian men, hmm. <laughs> you're going to have a problem with the training data. Even if the technology is ultimately perfected, um, facial recognition uh, technology is uniquely dangerous and oppressive. If the people producing the software are pulling, say, for instance, law enforcement data from law enforcement agencies, which is now going to read its archive, its bank of data, well, what if this uh, department uh, was filled with a lot of people who had very strong racial biases? What if you had sheriff's deputies who were actually inputting wrong information, which is a thing which has happened in the past? That wrong information is also making it into the training data. And so now you have a product that has all of these historical, statistical inaccuracies and biases, structural biases. If you're rolling that out into a community where you have the power of life and death over, over civilians, bad things could happen. Unlike uh, other technologies, we cannot hide our faces or change what we look like. This technology, even when it's accurate, is being used around the world for mass surveillance of minority groups, as is happening in Western China with the Uyghur Muslim minority community. The problem, of course, is... <laughs> This kind of technology is much more likely to be abused by authorities um, that in totalitarian governments. Uh, who is using surveillance technology in a more sophisticated and global fashion than anyone else? China. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of people, while they may not actually fear that that situation will happen in the United States, they're worried that we might move along those lines. And they're worried that we might be creating and selling software that will harm lots of people in other countries around the world. Who's against a ban on facial recognition technology? Obviously, a a lot of law enforcement agencies, not just in San Francisco, see this as a potential tool. Let's say, for instance, that I'm um, I'm a shopkeeper 
and uh, a woman has walked into my store and made off with something, just shoplifted, and uh, I've got a camera. (laughs) And so I call law enforcement. They today could go through photos of previously booked shoplifters. So they can do that in in an analog version. Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't they want to purchase cheap software (laughs) that allows within a matter of seconds to identify whether you've got a match? Maybe this shoplifter is a repeat offender. Right. Uh, They can get right on that. And so it's a very appealing tool in that regard. What message do you think San Francisco is sending to the tech industry with its vote to ban facial recognition? Well, certainly, uh, you know, the tech blowback is a thing that is happening and has been now for at least a couple of years. I think this is a very important ordinance. Raphael Mandelman was one of the supervisors who spoke at Tuesday's meeting. One of the tasks of the 21st century is going to be for governments to figure out how to restore some of the lost privacy um, that has gone by the wayside through technological developments. I think uh, no large uh, technology company is... uh, is shocked, shocked to discover that that local communities want more of a say, want to hit the pause button, want to assess uh, what's coming their way. Especially cities in the Bay Area. The sort of presumptions and assumptions that our grandparents would have had about what their privacy rights are and, and our ability to protect our own information and protect ourselves from uh, sort of corporate and public interests um, is dramatically different. You have more people here who are more conversant with the technology, more aware of what its potential drawbacks might be, and want to have a discussion about how it's all going to roll out. What ripple effects or what larger things do you think this could mean? That's a good question. I mean, I I think, uh, as is the case with local politics all over the place, politics is local always. And if San Francisco rolls forward with this ban, there are probably going to be other jurisdictions that think, hey, let's do the same thing. But I don't think it's going to be the majority of cities or counties. Uh, why don't you think it's going to be all the cities? Well, think about it. You know, there's I've never heard of any law enforcement agency that insists they have too many people on staff, too big a budget. <laughs> right. There's there's always a stack of cases that yeah. they want to get to. And as with so many things, the, que- the the devil is in the detail. The question is, how does the rollout happen? How is the technology used? What is the technology used? Who's looking at that? And who's, who's demanding fixes? There are eight eyes and one no with Supervisor Stephanie in the dissent. Then with a one count, then this um, ordinance is passed on first reading. San Francisco supervisors will take a final vote in a couple of weeks. The ordinance would then give city agencies six months to report back on what surveillance technology they have and how they use it. A lot of eyes are watching what San Francisco does in this moment, because when you live in a city where Google's testing cars with no drivers, where there's electric skateboards or whatever those one wheelie things are, people are going to watch how you respond. They're going to learn from how you do things, what works, and what doesn't. I'm Devin Kadiyama. That's it for the Bay. Talk to you Friday. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. 
I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast. And I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of The Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. 